My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Good morning. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. I can't hear you, but I'm just pretending I can. <laughs> uh, my name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunrise, and uh, my role is the associate pastor. And I want to get this TV turned on here before we get going this morning. But uh, man, I want to open in a word of prayer. Um, man, God is God's moving. You know, I, I do believe that, that God is moving in the season. God is um, opening up doors. Uh, there's challenges, there's struggles, there's all kinds of things. But I do believe that prayer is what is going to bring us closer to God in the season. Not only is it going to bring us closer, it's going to change our circumstances, and it's also going to change us. And so I just want to invite us in this morning just, just to pray, just to surrender wherever we're at. So, Father... Man, we're, we're in living rooms right now. We're maybe at some watch parties right now. We're with people right now. Maybe we're by ourselves right now, and we're listening after the fact on a, on a podcast or, or something, God. And the truth is, is we don't want to live a life where we don't see you move, where we don't get to experience the greatness and the mightiness of who you are. And, man, I'm... A, I'm praying that this morning would just be a glimpse of who you are, that, that, that whoever, wherever we're at, wherever people are, not just in relationship to you, but Lord, and what they're feeling in the season, God, that you would be their strength, that you would be their God, that you would show them that you are moving towards them, that you are drawing near them, regardless of what they've done or where they come from, regardless of the hurts they carry, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would change everything. I pray that you would change so much, God. People need to be changed. People need to be changed by you in a form of surrender, God. So do that this morning. Surrender our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I want to go back to a time uh, pre-COVID. I know that's kind of how we have to classify things these days is pre-COVID or post-COVID. Um, and so I want to go back to a time where I was uh, all the way back to February 2020. I know it's a long ways back there. Um, I don't know what you were doing, but in February 2020, I was on a nice, relaxing beach in Florida. 
And I also want to put another classification out there. This was before our first kid was born, my wife's and I's. And so this, there's pre-kids and then post-kids, right? And I only know this three months in, but I already know there's a lot of big differences in this. And so, uh, but I'm sit, we're sitting on a beach in Florida, my wife and I, we go there every year. It's one of our favorite vacations just because, well, every year might be an exaggeration, but as much as we can, how about that? Um, we go there and we love it because we just, we have this kind of relaxed routine. We don't do a whole lot. We go to the beach, we read this, this is our vacation. This is our place. And we're sitting there on the beach this past February. My wife is six and a half months pregnant. Um, this is pre-COVID, as I said. It really hasn't hit the United States at this point, or there's very little um, cases of it that have shown up. And uh, I'm reading a book. It's 80-some degrees outside, and it feels good. And I remember God is nudging me and reminding me of a conversation that, uh, or a question, I should say, that one of my mentors was asking me around the new year. And that question was, he says, hey, what's your word for the year? What's your word for this year? Um, and I'm not much of a word guy, and I, uh, and I don't mean to be negative about this. It's not that. It's just that I struggle that the God of the universe, how do I say this? The God of the universe, like, is so powerful, so almighty, but then there's me who's so small in the scheme of things, and there's over 170,000 words in the English dictionary, and somehow I'm going to hear the God of the universe tell me one word for my year. I just... I'm just not God. I'm just not that confident in my relationship to go. Yep, it's that word. It's that word. Um, but man, God is doing a lot of new things in this season, so He's doing a new thing this year. And I feel like the word He nudged me towards was the word resilient. And as we kind of look at the word resilient, uh, it looks good on paper. Like it's it's kind of nice. Like I'm thinking about this. I want to read what Merriam-Webster has to say about this. It says, um, "Capable of withstanding shock without permanent." deformation or rupture, or tending to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. Like, that sounds good. Like, when I'm thinking about a word for the year back in February, I'm like, man, that's a good word. Like, I want to puff my chest out a little bit and be like, I'm going to be resilient after this year, right? And now it's September of 2020, and COVID has hit, and I've got a newborn at home, and uh, I'm not really sure what that definition is referring to, but I can tell you what resilient tastes like. I can tell you what it smells like. I can tell you every moment of where I didn't feel resilient um, at all in 2020. Matter of fact, I can tell you about the tired moments of 2020. I can tell you about all of those moments in 2020. But I think we've all learned how to be resilient in this time. Like, I think we've all had to find a way to get back up, um, pick ourselves up off the ground and move forward. Um, without knowing where forward is, without knowing which direction to go in this season. And it has been a difficult one. But I believe God is still revealing to me and probably revealing to you what does resilient mean in this season. And if I was to ask you, though, maybe resilience not your word. Um, that's just something God has placed on my heart for this season. But maybe if I was to ask you what your word was for the season or what's your word to describe. I'll give you past tense here. What's your word to describe the last nine months, the last eight months, 2020 for you? Maybe you'd use the word like courageous because some of you have been stinking courageous. I've seen some stuff on Facebook and like what people are doing. I'm like, dude, that is stinking awesome. And I've seen, I've seen some people though that are also like hopeful in this season. I'm like, that's a good word because you guys are getting married. Like you're getting married in COVID 
2020. Like, that's epic. Like, that's going to be one of the greatest stories to go back and tell. Man, who was at your wedding? No one. No, who was that? No one. <laughs> Before God and everyone else in front of us. No, no, that didn't happen. But some people, you do have people showing up. I know you're getting married. I see the cool stuff going on out there. So kudos to all you that are going through with that. Um, but maybe, maybe you were tired. Maybe where it's tired and you're exhausted and you're just like, I'm so done. When are we going to get back to normal, right? Like, I don't want to talk about new normal. I want to go back to normal. And uh, maybe you're lost. Like, that might be a good word. You're like, man, I thought I knew where I was going. And then 2020 hit. And I'm not sure I know where I'm going. And that's okay. Because we're all feeling different words in this season and we're all finding words to define the season for us or to define what we're feeling. And better yet, what if I was to ask that question of like, what would you, how would you look at your life? How would you define your life? Maybe in a sentence, maybe in a word, maybe in all of that. Because if you were to look through the obituary, we see people and kind of statements and summaries of their life. And what would you say or maybe what, what would you have to say about your life in general if someone was to describe you in a conversation to someone? Like, oh, this is so-and-so and this is it. And the reason I ask that is because we do that all the time. Like, that's the world we live in. We define people by their actions, by their mistakes. And today, I'm just going to really, we're going to define people by the people they hang around, by their circumstances, and by their environment. That's, that's what we're talking about today. But I want to go to a character in The Unlikely Heroes. We're continuing the series. It's our last week. And we're going to go to this the hero called, I'm going to slow down because it's a mouthful to get out, Mephibosheth. Yeah, I said that right. That was, that was English for me. Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is just a, he's a big name, but his, his role in the Bible is very short. And, uh, but it's a really cool story. And I just want to show you these first couple verses, or this first verse, because this is kind of, if you were to say a summary of who he is, or to define him and define what his life has been about, it's this first verse. So let's read this together. It says, Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Keep going. It says, When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Now I'm gonna, I wanna show you something here. Hey, a slide man. Can we go back one slide for me? Yes. I wanna wanna point out, that's that's a parenthesis there. That's a parenthesis. You see that? Now go to the next slide. And that's a parenthesis there. Do you know when you use parentheses? When you're using an afterthought. When you're trying to communicate an afterthought. Mephibosheth, this is him. This is one of our first moments seeing Mephibosheth in the Bible. And it's in parentheses. I didn't put those in there. I didn't add those to it. That's go look in your Bible. 2 Samuel 4.4. It's in parentheses. Mephibosheth is an afterthought. And so today, maybe you can resonate with that because maybe you have felt forgotten. Maybe you have felt that you've been overlooked in your life. And there's been moments and, and you feel like, if God, how could you even use someone like me? How could you even possibly use someone like me who's been looked over, who's an afterthought, who's been rejected? God, how could you use me? And today, this is our unlikely hero. And I love it because the story of Mephibosheth, if you were to define him with one word, you see it in here, it's the word crippled. 
Like that's how he's brought to us. He's crippled. And you know how he got crippled? His babysitter dropped him. Like that's how we got here. But even better than that, it's where his story is in the Bible. Because if we go even further in a couple chapters here, we're going to see that his story is just kind of like out of place. A greater summary. And I want to read that story to you. So let's go all the way to 2 Samuel 9 here. It says, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am Ziba, replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them, Ziba replied. Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Amul. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. You know, I just just want to look at this story because I just think it's such an identity piece. But bigger than that, not bigger than that, but just along the lines, maybe what we talk about today is it's, it's about a guy who's defined by what's happened to him and by things he couldn't control. And I think a lot of us can resonate with this story today. And we kind of look at that and go, is that an unlikely hero? And I think it's one of the greatest heroes ever in scripture because it's hidden, it's unlikely, but more than that, it's going to communicate this redemptive story of God's grace. And that, my friends, is going to be one of the greatest heroes there is. But I think we get hung up a lot of the times on what we just read or our circumstances or people or environments because those things define us. Those things are such a defining moments for us. The people we hang around, we're associated to, the circumstances that happen to us and the environments we grow up in. And so I just want to talk kind of in, in those three areas. And so the first one I want to talk about is people. Because if we look at the story of Mephibosheth, we see that he was defined by the fact that he was King Saul's grandson. He was Jonathan's son. And so to put this a little bit in context for you, we see that King David was friends, was like best friends with Jonathan. Like they were best friends. King Saul was Jonathan's dad. And here we have Mephibosheth, who is the grandson and the son of Jonathan. Now, the truth is, is that King David is the one who became king after King Saul was basically killed. And there was a big rivalry between King Saul and King David this entire time. And so it'd be customary for the new king to go in and kill all the generation of, and descendants of the former king. So that way there would be no threat to the throne. So here we have Mephibosheth, who immediately upon news of finding out that his, grand, his grandfather and his dad have died... He is taken away at the young age of five, and he basically grows up in the obscurity of this small town, Lodabar. And I can only imagine that he's hiding. He's not having, telling people his real identity because if people find out that he's King Saul's grandson, um, well, David should be showing up then and basically killing him. And so can you imagine like a life of like you could never actually be who you were? 
meant to be. Like, you can't identify. And so he spends however many years, however much time, sitting there hiding in the shadows, trying to become someone or be someone that he's really not the entire time because that's what's approved of where he lives. And then we look at the nurse, that's what, or the babysitter, we could say, right? She, like, how often do we see in this, like, the reason he is crippled and the reason that he can't walk is because she dropped him. And so we see someone else that has an impact on who Mephibosheth grows up to be. If he wanted to go anywhere, someone had to carry him there. Someone had to take him there. Like, this is his life. And so it just had me thinking about, when I think about the people that played an impact defining who Mephibosheth became, I think about the people in our lives, and I, and I start thinking about the people that impact us, the people that we hang around, the people that we associate with, associate with our family members, who, who we are related to. Like, we find our identity in so many of these places. We are defined by the family we grow up in. We're defined by the traditions that, of our family that we grow up in. We're defined by what people do to us. Like, well, some of us have some major hurts and some major, um, man, just moments of just weakness that we, owe. we live in the past. We live in this moment of abuse or live in this moment of being violated uh, because that's what someone did to us. And that has defined so much of our life up until now or up until a certain point in our life or still defining our life at this current moment. And I just want to tell you, like, that you are a hero, like, that's what I want to tell you. You're a hero. And you may not think so, and you may, you may be wrestling with that, and that's why we're talking about the unlikely heroes. Because Mephibosheth had no control over any of this. He was born as King Saul's grandson. He was dropped at five years old. He didn't have any control. This is what he grew up into. This is what he became. And so the people we associate with, the people, family members, friends, those that are close to us, actually start creating a narrative and a moment and defining our life. And we, we kind of create our own narrative based off them. And so then I, wanna, I just want to move on to circumstances because we all kind of see the circumstances that he grew up in here. And the circumstances we see are the fact that he was fatherless. Right? We, we see the fact that he grew up fatherless at the young age of five. And can you imagine not having a dad there to tell you I love you, say I'm proud of you, um, affirm you and who you're becoming to be? Like things that are so important to growing up as a young man or even we could say a young woman. Like a dad is so important in that role and in that moment to say those words and just, just affirm you. And when you don't get those there, sometimes you can go looking elsewhere for the approval or affirmation of others or from something else. And so we can only imagine the places that Mephibosheth went. And so for some of you out there maybe that have ha haven't had that mother or that father or that, that person, that mentor to look up to or to speak into, man, I just, I just want to encourage you this morning to, to really lean in to what God is trying to tell you because this is for you. And then we kind of move on to the idea that and the fact that he's crippled. And we see that he's crippled in the story and he had no control over that either, Right? And he's defined by his limitations, by his weaknesses. I mean, when he was introduced to us, when Ziba like, brings him up in front of King David, he says, he's, he's the son of Jonathan and he's crippled before he even gets to his name. 
Like that's how he's defined. And I think so often, so many times, it's like we're defined by our failures. We're defined by our mistakes. We're defined by the decisions that maybe we made or someone made for us or something that happened to us. And man, we are so often looking around us. It's like, man, none of us wanted this season of COVID to hit and it's defining so much for so many of us right now. And then I think lastly about our environment and the environment we see here, and I just want to paint a picture for you is that Mephibosheth grew up in royalty. He was, he grew up eating, dining from a silver platter. I mean, that was his life. He was in the king's castle. I mean, that's what he knew. And then all of a sudden at this young age of five, he basically goes from the, the, the White House to, if you were to ask me where I grew up, it'd, it'd be the Verbort, which is a small community. Uh, for you, it might be something uh, smaller than that or something a little bit more obscure. But basically, he goes from the penthouse to the outhouse, in a sense, right? He goes from living in the mansion to getting his meals to all of a sudden, he's in this place of obscurity, no one knows about. It's lowlier than the, I mean, just, just imagine the environment. And I, and I think about all the environments that we grow up in, the places that we surround ourselves in, the, how much of that creates a narrative for us that we believe is so true. And so all of a sudden we start looking at our circumstances around us. And when what we see is what we actually start to believe. And Mephibosheth sitting there, not growing up in royalty anymore, all of a sudden believing that he's probably less than that he's not wanted, that he's not desired, that no one wants. And, and we do the same thing when we start looking around us, the people in our lives, what's going on. If we're growing up in, <laughs> in places where and people don't value us or love us or where we don't have resources or the things we need, our environment actually starts to create how we view ourselves. And so I just want you to like, see this because it's so easy for us to to basically sit here and fixate on people that hurt us, maybe to dwell on our f- current circumstances, or to sit here and let the, our environments control the narratives for our lives. I, th- I think that's so easy to do, and I think we all do it to some degree. We all allow this to happen at moments in our lives, and, and even, if I'm honest with you, it impacts so much. This is what we're used to. We're used to, we get our value, and we're defined by what we do and, and the things that we achieve in this life and, and basically where, what success looks like for people if we have money and a house and a family and uh, we have kids and we've got cars in the driveway and we've got the job and we have friends and we've got a social life. I like, and man, if we've got, like our life and success in this world looks so much different and we define it by the people we hang around by where we see our surroundings. Are we driving home to the nice neighborhood? Are we going to the good school? I mean, like so much of that is how we define success today. And I know a lot of us say, oh, no, 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 that's not it. But I think we still get stuck there. And we get stuck there so much that when we're, we're looking at the story of Mephibosheth and, we're, and we see this going on, what I love is when Mephibosheth shows up on the scene, he probably thinks like, uh-oh, the king's bringing me in. I'm going to be killed. If I, I've been hiding my entire life. I've been trying to be someone else. And finally now I've got to come face to face with the very thing I've been trying to avoid is that I'm, that I'm Saul's grandson and I'm crippled. And I grew up in this palace. I grew up in Jerusalem, you know. And uh, he comes before him, 
They have this moment, and uh, this is what the response looks like. Let's read it in verse 7. David says, don't be afraid, right? He says, I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Like I said, King David and Jonathan were good friends, really close. They're like brothers. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Now look at Mephibosheth's response. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And a lot of us go, well, how do we know that so much of what you just mentioned, Taylor, defined Mephibosheth? Well, look at the narrative. Go back to that. Go back to that. Dead dog like me. Like a dead dog like me. Like that's the narrative that he's painted for himself. He's grown up in the obscurity. He's crippled. Doesn't have a dad. He's been hiding. He's, here's the moment, the person he's been hiding from, and he comes face to face with them. And that's his response. Like, man, that is, that's, we're like, I don't get it, dude. He's offering all this, like, unmerited grace to you, Mephibosheth. And you're still creating a narrative for yourself. And I look at that and I go, man, you and I are Mephibosheth. We relate with Mephibosheth because the truth is, is we have created so much value in our lives on what we do and what we achieve and where we go and all the accolades. And when we start doing those things and we start creating that, the the time when we finally make a mistake or the moment that failure comes in or that our circumstances change, all of a sudden the narrative has been wiped over and we don't even know what to do. We're like, wait a second everything I found my value and everything that I've defined my life around is gone. And so we see this happen and then God shows up on the scene in our lives and he pursues us like King David pursued Mephibosheth and we see this moment of unmerited grace and unmerited favor and we go, whoa, 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 whoa. God, why are you doing this? I don't deserve this. Have you seen what I've done? Have you seen where I come from? Have you seen where I grew up? Have you know what my uncle did? I mean, like, come on, God. I deserve to live in obscurity. I deserve to be where I'm at. I don't, I, I don't need unmerited grace. I don't need faith. I don't need that. But that's God, the Father. He pursues us. He comes to us. Why? Because of our relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for the sins of the world. He says, hey, you can't do this, kid. You can't do this, daughter. You can't do this, son. I'm doing it for you. You can't be made right. You can't live a perfect life. You cannot continue to live your life this way. And so Jesus goes to the cross. He dies for the sins of the world. And that is God's pursuit of us. And so then all of a sudden we come face to face with the creator of the universe who should, man, we are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sins. All of our failures, we come before God. We say, God, I don't deserve this. And he goes, yes, you do. Because of your relationship with my son. Yes, you do, Mephibosheth, because I made a promise to Jonathan. Yes, you do, Taylor, because of my relationship to Jesus. Because Jesus is my son, and I sent him to die for you. And that just feels awkward and weird, because all of a sudden we go, I don't understand this grace thing. 
And I think that's why even today I struggle like preaching this story because I'm not sure I understand grace a lot of the time. I think we skip over stories like this because we're like, oh, cool, grace. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a five-letter word. Sounds good in church. We get what we don't deserve, right? Like, and we wrestle with that. We so wrestle with that. But then what happens is the, the action that God calls us to do or that we're called to do is, is we're supposed to look at that cross and look at Jesus and go, I surrender my life. And when we surrender our life, when we say, hey, I, I, I'm done doing it my way. I'm done finding my identity and all this other stuff. I want to find my identity in the fact that God made me perfect and holy and right, right before him. And the reason I am is because of his son. And so therefore I'm surrendering my life to that king. And so then this is what happens. I want, to, I want to read this for you. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And that's something I think we probably all struggle with, right? Is like, what's anyone who belongs to Christ? Belonging to Christ means just surrendering your life to Christ. But then you become a new person. And a lot of us don't feel new because we're hanging on to people, circumstances, and environments to find our identity. And God's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I have made you new. I have bought you back with the blood of my son. You are welcomed at my table. You can dine with me. You can eat with me. You can do all that with me because of my son. And so we see the story of Phibosheth's an identity story. It's a, it's once we were once lost, but now we're found. But that means we have to come face to face with our own weaknesses, our own limitations, our own failures, and bring them before the king. And that's so hard to do because we spend our whole life trying to hide them, our whole life trying to avoid them. And so we've been highlighting a hero every week here at Sunrise. And this person that you or that we're going to show um, this morning is Megan Moore. And she is, actually lives in Bend, Oregon now with her family. But man, her and her husband and family were a major part of Sunrise. They were here for five years and still connected. So I'm going to let her story play. And uh, man, let her just minister to you like she ministered to us who were in the room that day when she interviewed. I have worn hearing aids since I was three years old. I was never one to show off my hearing aids, but I also was never one to let it stop me from doing well. So after graduating with my BSN and getting to marry my high school sweetheart, um, things were great. You know, we, we moved a couple of times. We had five part-time jobs between the two of us, um, but soon we landed two full-time positions and we were paying down debt. We were making plans for the future. And it was just... It was wonderful. And then I noticed my night vision was getting a little concerning. Like, I'd bump into things in the dark, you know. I remember running into a wall, and I'm like, where'd that come from? Um, and it got to the point where I was like, ah, I just don't want to drive at night. It just doesn't feel safe. And so um, I was sent to KCI up at OHSU. That's where I learned I was going blind. I am going blind. Um, I learned that I have a a rare genetic disorder uh, syndrome called Usher syndrome. It is the leading um, genetic cause of deaf blindness in America. 
now that I have more than one disability, my priorities were being questioned. Was I living for the Lord? Did I understand um, that today could be my last day of vision? Losing my vision may feel isolating at times, and in these times, I realize I need my community now more than ever. The other night, I got to see some lovely faces. I was able to join a Google Meet with a handful of my dearest friends from Hillsboro. Um, I have known these ladies for about eight years. I met them through connections that started here at Sunrise Church. I could be myself. I can speak freely about how things are going, regardless if they would act the same in my situation. Um, I just, I never felt judged when I was with these, these friends. And I remember logging off after like two hours of chatting it up, laughing and having such a good time and thinking, wow, you know, this is what Jesus wanted. You know, he wanted a diverse group of women who, who love and honor each other. So despite how amazing these ladies are um, towards me, for many years, I still chose to keep a big part of myself hidden. I found that I, would be, I became more open with really close friends. I found, I felt like I was living two different identities. Like, here I was being so open about being a mother. Like, oh, this happened last night. Or I tell the most embarrassing stories, but they weren't. <laughs> so, I don't know. And I just, and people are open with you, and they always tell you their hard times, and... I just, it became such a burden on myself to carry alone. Like, I know, just, there's these times where it's like, oh, I should stop, I should speak up. But it's just this, this fear of being rejected. So I finally emailed these ladies after moving away. And I shared my Usher syndrome diagnosis. Um, I found myself worrying, would they still love me? Um, will they find that I'm still worthy? You know, Will they still support me as a mom? And I found I am. They love me and I love them. We still keep in touch, no matter the distance. They have kept me in their hearts and I keep them in mine. It has been nine years since I received that diagnosis. Um, God has commanded me to live for him. He blessed me with three beautiful children that I love to watch. I love watching them play and just seeing life through their eyes. Um, he gave me a supportive and loving husband and an amazing group of friends. Without these trials and constant reminders to live for the Lord, I would not be clinging to Jesus. I would not be following his commands. I would not be strong, be doing the work, or choosing to not be afraid because he is with me always. I, of course, still struggle. I find myself clinging to my anxieties, worrying that my kids are missing out due to my limited driving hours, my limited vision, and my poor hearing in general. I worry I'm becoming a burden to those I love dearly. I worry, but when I'm in the Word, I am comforted. I am beloved, and I am a child of God. Isn't that a powerful story? You know, there's, it was me and two others in the room as we were hearing Megan kind of share. And, man, it was, 
it was powerful. Like I was just sitting in the room. I'm going, dang, she's ministering to us in the room. I mean, it was, it was, it was wild. And, uh, you know, I think we get caught up in our weaknesses and we get caught up in what the church is supposed to be in this season. And I think I'm just reminded that the church does not stop because the doors don't open. God doesn't stop moving all of a sudden because we can't get into this room I'm standing in right now. Like God is, God is moving in such a mighty way right now. Like, I'm like, man, I, I believe God wants to show up in your life. You don't need to be in a seat in here. You can be right where you're at and just surrender. Like you can be right where you're at with your weaknesses and your frailties and your, and your things that you don't understand and the things that you hate about yourself and that you try to spend your entire life hiding from your friends from the people you love most, the people who know everything about you except that one thing. And you can feel like you didn't even live your life because you spent your entire life trying to be someone that you thought everyone else would approve of. And that is not why Jesus came. He did not come so you could continue to live as someone else. He came so that you could have a new life. And God invites you to that table. God invites you to that table. So for some of you out there right now who need to surrender your life to Jesus, man, I invite you into this. But I want to speak for a moment to some of us out there that we've probably lost our way a little bit. I know I have. Because as the story of Mephibosheth continues, we find out that King David actually was pushed out of Jerusalem. He was pushed out of the castle because Absalom was coming in and taking over. And so King David and his family and his men, and they leave. But you know who stays? Mephibosheth. And at first we think it's kind of heroic, like he's staying, right? But Mephibosheth stays, it says, because he was hoping he could become king. He was hoping he could become king. I go, wait a second. Did he forget something? Did he, did he forget something along the way, the unmerited favor of grace? Did he forget that God is, God's the one who invited him? King David's the one who brought him to the table? Like, did he lose something along the way? And I think that about myself in the season, and I go, man, I, I forget that I was lost, and it was God who came and invited me to the table. It was God who came and invited me into this moment. And... I start thinking all of a sudden, it's like, wait, God invited me to the table. And as I get in the journey, I start to realize, I start thinking, I start having this thought come to mind. that says, I think I got here by myself. I think I deserve to be here. I had to, I had to come through all the circumstances. I grew up in this kind of environment. I didn't have opportunities given to me. I don't know why they're whining. I don't know why they're crying. I, I had to get here. And all of a sudden, I start, start looking around at all the blessings, all the things in my life, starting thinking like, I, I've done this. Thanks, God, but I've done this. I've created this. It's my hard work. And I think we're in a season and a moment right here where God is, God is revealing to so many of us to say, hey, 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 hold the, hold the phone. <laughs> hold it. Did you forget that I was the one who invited you to the table? 
Did you forget that it wasn't because of anything you've done? Actually, I'm attracted to your weakness. I'm attracted to the things you want to hide. I made you with them. And I said it was perfect. And you know why it's perfect? Because you have to come to me. You have to come to me and find the strength to continue on. You can't do this on your own. And so then all of a sudden it says King David comes back. A couple chapters later, he comes back and it says Mephibosheth hadn't shaved. He's got this long mustache, hasn't cut his toenails. I don't know what's with all of this stuff, but that's where he's at. He's undone. And I can't help but think that's how some of us are feeling in this season. It's like, I've done so much only to realize that I've gained nothing. Only to realize that there's nothing else in this life to be going after except reminding that I'm invited to the table to to dine and eat with the king. Like, that's what we're here for. That the most important thing is to worship and to be with him and to spend time with him. That I, I got lost somewhere. Even after I was saved, even after I surrendered, I got lost somewhere. And so I'm just inviting us as the church us as people, if this is you, this is me. Like, let's just repent. Can we just repent that we've gotten lost along the way? That we started thinking it was because of us that God showed up. So just pray that with me. Lord, I repent. I repent. And then I want to, I just want to go back to the most important thing and close us out here with just a simple, simple invitation. Simple, simple invitation. For those of you that are watching, those of you that are with us right now, I wanna invite you into something that will change everything for your life. You don't think you deserve it, and you don't. You could not earn it, not any of this. But God is inviting you, showing you grace and a clean slate to find your identity in him and to be defined only by him, understanding that this place is not your home. And so I just want you to pray these words with me. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have never accepted an invitation to the table, this is your moment. And I just want you to say this, these words, Father, I surrender. I've tried my own way, but I, was, I got lost somewhere. And I've come up short and I want to surrender my life to your kingship. I want to make you Lord of my life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, past, present, and the future sins. And then he rose from the grave and conquered death. And I want to surrender my life to you as my king because of that. I trust you. I give you everything. Amen. Amen. That's all you have to say. It's simple. You're like, no, that can't be it. No, it is. Because that's grace. That's grace. It's unmerited favor. And so, man, if that's you today, and this is your first time surrendering your life to Jesus, surrendering into that moment, we want to walk with you because it's strange and it's awkward and it can be weird. And so I just want you to maybe write in the chat if you feel comfortable enough, or I'd like you to message us on Facebook, or you can send an email to prayer at isunrise.com and that'll come to one of us pastors and we're just gonna have the opportunity to walk with you 
Even when it feels like maybe we're a million miles apart in the season, we want to walk with you. Because we understand that the God who feels so far apart from us sometimes is actually so close by. I love you guys. Man, I'm gonna invite you into this moment of worship to just surrender yourselves and to come before God wherever you're at and just let him have the weaknesses, your failures, all of the experiences, moments, people that have hurt you, bring it to him. He won't disappoint. Love you guys.